The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. This episode of the Platinum Sombrero Podcast is brought to you by Heavy Metal Crayons. From the same heathens that brought you jazzy gel pens and mariachi markers, try brand new Heavy Metal Crayons. Why color with boring old red when you can use lamb's blood or demon horn? Chant your vengeful mantras and pine for terminal desolation while using the all-new fire and flame shade of orange. We've even managed to identify the colors of anarchy and torture. Also, be sure to try the new Prince of Darkness edition, which is just 666 shades of black, including abyss, witch hunt, sin, and eternal death. Damnation. Heavy metal crayons. Patent pending. Fifty-one thousand plus on their feet. Nobody's left to beat the traffic tonight, I guarantee you. Mark gets the sign. The wind and the pitch. Here it is. Long fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes! 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 Twenty-five lighters on my dresser, yes sir. You know I got to get paid. Alabama, back to right center, and the Braves have landed. Twenty-five lighters on my dresser, yes sir. You know I got to get paid. Swing and drive, back to right, look into the sun. Twenty-five lighters for my twenty-five folks. Now get ready. This is the Platinum Sombrero Podcast with your hosts, Dylan Short and Adam Doc Herbert. Welcome, welcome everybody to another episode of the Platinum Sombrero, brought to you by Armchair All-Americans and our friends at MyBookie.ag. MyBookie.ag, the number one place to go for any and all online gambling needs, whether you want to place a wager on Ronald Acuna hitting 40... 40 homers and 40 steals this year. I'm sure you can find that now. Maybe you were one of the ones who were smart enough to take him going 30-30 before the season even started. MyBookie.ag has all sorts of great lines, all sorts of prop bets. Maybe you'd wanted to bet that Ozzie Albies would have a 350 OBP. You could have bet that at the beginning of the year. College football is about to start. That's kind of the number one time to play some bets. Well, if you go to MyBookie.ag, you can use our promo code BRAVES25, and they will give you a 50% deposit match on your initial deposit just for signing up and using our promo code. That way you can place your bets and show everybody what a smart fan you are. MyBookie.ag also has the number one customer service department in all of the online sports books. Great, easy to use. Really, really easy to understand lines. If you have any questions, their customer service is second to, second to none. MyBookie.com, or MyBookie.ag, not MyBookie.com, MyBookie.ag. Play, win, and have a great time. All right, Doc, I don't know exactly how you're feeling coming off of this series with the Twins. I, for one, feel great. I know there's some weird things with the bullpen that we're going to talk about, but all in all, this was this was a prime matchup between two really exciting teams for two totally different reasons. I feel fantastic about it. You know, you, you look at the Twins and you see the all the home runs and the gaudy offensive numbers and 
we marched into their home and we took two out of three from them and hung 23 runs on them in two days. I mean, that's that's a really impressive showing against a team that could have swept us pretty easily. And you're right, the the bullpen the bullpen really did continue to do that thing. But uh, but the offense, you can't say enough about how good the offense looked, with the exception of Tyler Flowers' triple play. Yeah, um, that one play kind of encapsulated like Tyler Flowers' entire offensive season right there. I, f- I feel bad for him because everybody immediately went into, oh my God, I hate that guy mode. And truthfully, it's it's just really bad placement. You know, it's it's not just the, the part about having the bases loaded with nobody out and all, all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, I guess it's time to put on the catching gear now. But, uh, you know, he could he could not have hit it in a in a worse spot for something like that to happen. But I'm trying to think of the last time I actually saw a triple play turn. So, uh, you know, that part was cool. It just sucked that it that it happened at all you know well that was like that was the thing everybody on twitter was like oh watch johan hit into a triple play here and then johan walks and then it's <laughs> then it's Tyler flowers that hits a triple play um there's no other way around it this has been about the worst year possible for tyler flowers uh for anybody that was more of a fan of kurt suzuki over tyler flowers this is kind of like their i told you so year um i i let me let me explain. I kind of feel bad that this is happening to Tyler because he's a good guy. And he's a good teammate. But then again, you're also a professional athlete. Your one job is to catch the ball, and he can't seem to do that this year. Never mind the fact that he can't call a game. Um, we are at this point. Do you remember at the beginning of the year when you and I kind of agreed that McCann needed to be right around 35 to 45 games this year? How quickly How quickly did that go flying out the window? Yeah, uh, Braves cold takes is, is digging that up right now. That was, uh, I mean, and at the time, there were a lot of questions about, about McCann's knees and his ability to, to rebound and actually take on a full workload for this season. And, and Flowers had a, had a pretty good year last year. But, yeah, everything kind of turned on its head there. All, all of the past balls, all of the, the inability to, to even – just catch the ball like that's that's a weird one it's like catcher yips you know what I mean like it's it's uncomfortable to see and you can see it coming from a mile away in a lot of cases where it's like you know walk pass ball uh sacrifice fly and and bloop hit leads to a run against Braves pitching you know and that's that's not the type of stuff that's happening when when McCann is back there I mean not only has has he been such a great story coming back to Atlanta but being here and performing and being the leader and like being the heart of this team has been great. Unfortunately, it's been kind of at the, at the expense of everybody's love for Tyler Flowers. And people look at the numbers, people look on fan graphs and say, how is he rated so high defensively? Because they, they, there's a big premium on framing, and, and rightfully so. Being able to, to steal strikes, is, uh, or rather present strikes correctly, is... Uh, it's a, a good skill to develop and to have, but um, I think it might be kind of overinflated a little bit, uh, just as far as uh, what it does to the numbers and when it swings the numbers. You saw what it did to, to all of the, the catching numbers last year when they implemented that. So, I don't know. Flowers got off to a good start this year. He's still a good catcher. He's just um, struggling a bunch. Like I said, it's, it's like he's got the yips somehow, and not you know he's hitting 115 over the last like three months. Or so, I'm glad you mentioned that about uh, that the 
framing being overinflated because I 100% agree. Framing is a very important tool, but catching catching defense encapsulates so much more because they don't have a, a metric for game calling um, or or anything like that. And to me, game calling is just as important as your pitch framing maybe more so you see the differences and it's it's not like you and I are just making this up this is something you can go and see just on the Braves own team because Brian McCann is considered one of the best game callers in all of baseball while Tyler Flowers is one of the worst and you can look at the young guys in particular and how they do with Flowers versus McCann uh and and there's a reason for that young pitchers are much less likely to shake off uh, a veteran catcher as a veteran pitcher is a veteran pitcher will tell a guy hey quit calling that i'm going to tell you what i want you to call whereas a young guy is much more apt to listen to his veteran backstop and that can get guys into trouble if you're not a particularly good game caller it's one of the reasons why i wanted yasmani grandal so badly and he he could possibly be on the table next year he just signed that that one-year deal with the brewers this year so uh, it's entirely possible that, that that could be in the cards for next year because Flowers has an option for next year, and, and McCann just signed the one-year deal. So the catching position is kind of open for 2020. I mean, we're, we're still in 2019, so it might be a little too early to be looking forward to that. But it's, it's entirely possible that, that Grandall, I mean, he's kind of like a double threat. He's um, not just offensively, but he can, he can also do all, all of that stuff on defense, too, with the framing and the presentation and the blocking and everything. You know, a lot of people use the... I think it was the NLCS last year, uh, as opposed to the NLDS, when he had a bunch of pass balls and everybody's like, "Oh, he's washed." No, I, I don't want him behind the plate. <laughs> <laughs> That's you know maybe you go for the for the the slightly larger sample size of five ten years of him back there doing that. So um, that I, almost sounded like some shade. Uh, no, no, I don't do that. I don't. I don't, I don't throw shade. <laughs> <laughs> but I will say this: you do bring up a good point as well about um, McCann and and Flowers and like the way that they call games for the young guys. But Max Fried's performance yesterday against the Twins, which is one of the best ones he ever had in his entire career, was caught by Tyler Flowers. So that's uh, that is a, a gold star on Flowers' chart. That that is true, and I was actually going to bring that point up after this. I. I do this all the time where I do not like Tyler Flowers catching Max Freed because Tyler Flowers gets very predictable. And to me, that that's when you see Max Freed at his worst. When And it's not just predictable of, oh, he, threw, he called three straight curves or he called five straight fastballs. That's not what I mean by predictable. Pitching is all about patterns, and great hitters are great at recognizing patterns. So if a hitter can see, okay, he's getting ahead with the fastball, then he's going slider, okay, then he's going one more fastball, and then he's dropping the curve. That's a pattern that a good hitter can pick up on. That's the difference to me between Flowers and and McCann. McCann will have totally different patterns for for every hitter and, and different innings and so on and so forth. And for Max, the the struggle is because his curveball is so good, Sometimes he's not he's not going to shake it off if the catcher calls his curveball. It's his best pitch. But if you get into established patterns, by the time you get to the sixth inning, which has been kind of a bugaboo for Max, or the fourth inning, which is generally the second time around the order for him, then those patterns start becoming apparent, and the hitters are able to react to them a little bit better. That's why I like having that. But then you get a, a day like yesterday where it didn't matter if the hitters knew what Max was throwing. It genuinely did not matter. He was putting them away. To me, that was Max's. I think that was Max's best performance in game score. Can can go, you know where. Uh, I I think that was Max's best performance since his first start against Miami, or his first start against what Chicago, where he carried the perfect game into the sixth. Yeah, that was uh, that was really really impressive. I mean, we we were just talking about how good the Twins' offense is and the capacity for 
uh, for them to just go out and mash all over us, which which they still did wind up hitting a fair amount of home runs in the series. But I think that it's just a, a testament to to Max the fact that that he went out there and was like, I'm on. I'm going to tell you what I'm going to throw, exactly where I'm going to throw it, and you're still not going to be able to hit it. Striking out 10 over 5 and a third innings, the line, this is, a, this is why you cannot scout the, the stat line, because, yeah, he gave up three runs, he actually only gave up one of them, and, you know, we t- talked a little bit beforehand about it's not his fault because there's, there's no guarantee that those, that those runs would have come around to score, and it's also not really Luke Jackson's fault because... You know, he got dropped in the middle of a messy situation. But they wind up getting tacked on the line. and But up until that point, I mean, just hitting 98 on the corners? Like, forget about it. I mean, that's that's elite level. That's number one starter type stuff right there. And, you know, lefties that, that throw 98 don't just grow on trees. And seeing how he's been for his last couple of starts, it was ever since that blister start that uh, that he wound up coming out against, I think it was against the Brewers, he has been just dominant, and he hit he hit his career high in innings in that start. And if this is like they're going to continue to do all of the check ins and make sure that he's all good and make sure that he's not completely ragging himself out because they're going to need him in the playoffs. Man, what a development! What an amazing development that is for a team that that's had really inconsistent starting pitching uh, during this year. Just huge kudos to you, Max Fried. And when Max is pitching like he did yesterday, I think he's the best pitcher on this ball club. And I love Mike Soroka, and I love what Mike Soroka is. I also think Soroka gives up a touch too much contact for me to ever think that the 10-strikeout game is going to be the norm for him. But when Max is working the way he was yesterday with all four pitches working well, I don't think there's there's an offense out there, aside from maybe the Dodgers uh, and the Astros, who, who would really pose that big of a threat. You dropped Max Fried yesterday into a series with anybody, and the Braves are going to come out on top. And that Twins lineup that twins lineup is no joke. We talk about NC Boomstick, Nelson Cruz, for those of you who are Philistines and don't understand the best nickname in baseball. Uh, Nelson Cruz mashes off of literally everybody, and Max Fried made him look like a fool twice. Yeah, I mean, all you have to do is look earlier in the series when Cruz wound up going four for five in in one of those games with two home runs. I mean, he's thirty nine years old. He's he's the ageless wonder. I mean, he the guy is amazing, and just shut him down, made him look foolish, and up and down that lineup too. I mean, he came out, he struck out the side in the first inning, and was just like kind of strutting off, like, oh yeah, nobody's hitting me today. So that's great. And you look at the playoff rotation, you know. Soroka's going to be in it as long as everything is all good with him as far as his innings. You know Dallas Keuchel's going to be in it, in it. So that third spot is up for grabs. And that version of Max Fried, man, I, I picked that guy in game one. I mean, that's two that's two games in a row for him. And Max went through that big-time struggle for a month, which it, it looked like he was kind of, like I said, he was getting a little bit too predictable. It looked like he kind of hit a wall there. Hopefully these two starts are an indicator of what he's going to be the rest of the year. But it was also a big day for somebody I know you're clamoring to talk about. Mike Fultonevich on Tuesday, that was the best Mike Fultonevich we've seen since 2018. I don't know if I could accurately state how much I love Mike Fultonavich. The whole thing with him getting, you know, the injury and then going down to Gwinnett and just the demotion and, and just getting, God, he got crushed while he was up here. My heart broke. And then he came back, and there, there had been talk that they, that they were going to line up 
his start with, with Kevin Gossman, who we're going to talk about him in a second, they were lining it up to where Fulte could basically take Gossman's next start, which is going to wind up being, I think, this Sunday um, against the Marlins. And they didn't want to kind of unravel any of the confidence that he had built up in AAA. But there have to be questions about how much confidence he could really get from moving from AAA up to the big leagues and facing the Marlins. I mean, that's basically like staying in AAA. So they just decided, you know what? We have an opening, you're coming back, and we're going to throw you directly into the fire. Good luck not giving up any home runs to the Twins. You know, and it seemed it seemed like he had a he struggled to get set up, but like by the time the third, fourth inning, that slider was darting, everything was moving. He wasn't wearing his don't be a little bitch bracelet, but I don't think he needed it. I mean, he just Oh my god, I good faulty is Oh, I just love Good Fulty. You know, I, I can't I can't say enough about it and you know, the struggles with the with the mental stuff and, and all of that, like it just it breaks your heart because that's not something like it's not like a mechanical tweak where a pitching coach can sit him down and say, you know, you know, we've got this slow motion video of what you're doing. Instead it's like, hey, we've got a slow motion video of you acting like a little bitch. Or or, <laughs> or, or whatever. You know, so like to see him come back and, and this isn't to overreact to to one one start, but if he was doing that against against the Marlins or the Orioles or the Tigers or whoever, then you don't have nearly the confidence. And I'm not saying that he's going to go out for the next couple starts. I mean, he might wind up having to start against the Dodgers in uh, I guess that's next weekend. So the it's entirely possible that he's going to go out and get his ass handed to him. But just seeing him back and and getting that feeling of like this is the guy that we have needed. That was 2018 Foldy. The sixth inning got ugly, but he had just hit his stride, and it's like, yeah, just just sit down for a second. We're going to go and bang on the Twins for a little bit and hang six on their pitching. So that was that was tricky, and I think, was it Cruz? <laughs> Nelson Cruz that we were just talking about that hit yeah. a run against him? Two. Uh, I believe Garver got him for one, too. Yeah, yeah. So that's huge. For the rest of the season, like, NL East is starting to get a little wooly. You know, the Mets, we're going to talk about the Mets too, about how what they're doing is not necessarily sustainable, but they are starting to win. And there's a there's a bunch of matchups against them. Washington's not going away. Philadelphia is doing their best to go away, but they haven't completely fallen out of it yet. I mean, NL East is one of the best divisions in baseball. So there's there's no taking the foot off the gas. There's seven weeks left in the season, and we need good convincing wins against all of our division rivals. So good Fulte, huge addition. So that that is my my soliloquy about Mike Fultonavich. I will now turn it back over to you. And for Mike, it's it's not just how good he looked on the mound and his stuff did look better. Um you've heard some people around the sports talk world on the radio talking about oh his velocity was back. His velocity didn't really leave. It wasn't the velocity. He's been throwing ninety four to ninety seven even when he wasn't looking great. It was the explosion um, the the explosion on the fastball, the the spin rate looked to be back, and it looked like it was getting on hitters better. It had a lot of it had a lot more late life on it, and that's what's important. A lot of guys in baseball today can throw ninety seven, ninety eight, but it's when you have late life where it seems to explode out of the hand and it gets on hitters faster than it is. That's when it works well. And for Fulty, the key pitch is always the slider because he can still get away with his worst stuff. He can still get away with it against right handers, unless it's Nelson Cruz. Um, but not against lefties, where lefties traditionally have tuned Fulty up uh, all all but last year. And 
when he's got that slider working with the sharp break and it's not just spinning and he can bury it on that back foot, that's when lefties can't get to Mike. And that's when Mike is at his best. So with I was really, really happy with his with his stuff, period, last uh, Tuesday. That was great. But it was the mound presence that I liked a whole lot more. Um, there was one moment in the game where he thought he got somebody on a check swing. Probably should have got the call, but he didn't get the call. And he started kind of walking around the mound. But he didn't really let it, like, he did the little walk and he was done and he was back to back to the game. That to me is always the most important part of a Mike Fultonevich game. It's not the other team necessarily that's always beating Fulty. Sometimes it is, obviously, but a lot of the times when Fulty gets into trouble, it's of his own doing. And he'll get in his own head and he'll he'll get pissed off and everything will flatten out and then he'll he'll be horrible. Some guys can pitch angry, some guys can pitch pissed off. Mike Fultonevich is not one of them. So if he's able to control himself on the mound and get the mental side of things, at least kind of under wraps a little bit that's the faulty that the Braves have needed all year long yeah and and velocity does make up for a lot but and you talked about the the explosion the late life on everything and he was hitting the corners you know not just like the sides of the zone but like the very top very top right corner like he was hitting everywhere he needed to and if he's having a game where he knows he doesn't have his best stuff, and then things start not going his way. You know, it's usually not just one thing. It's when things start to compound, but that's that's kind of what makes guys like Soroka really special. I mean, was it, it was Laz Diaz on Monday night who was behind the plate, and he was just giving Soroka the business. And he was doing it to Odorizzi, too. I mean, this, this was not just... <coughs> pardon me. This was not just a, a Soroka-based thing that he was doing, but I mean... The zone was completely inconsistent, and Soroka's looking around like, okay, I guess this is just how it's going to be. If that had been the situation for Fulty, then you have to wonder how things would have gone if he didn't have his best stuff. But when when he's, he didn't, I, I remember exactly what you're talking about. He didn't get the call. He just kind of like got back to it. He's like, whatever, I, I know I can get this guy out anyway. I don't, I don't need this umpire getting in my way. And he looked great, so... It's definitely something to keep an eye on. And, you know, ju- we just talked about the uh, Soroka and Keuchel and possibly Freed in the, in the playoff series. I don't think they would necessarily lean on Fulte uh, to start a game in a, in a playoff series, but I think that having having the gas in that arm is definitely just a viable weapon because you're going to need multiple inning outings out of these guys. So keep our eye on him. Hopefully next week uh, when we talk about him, we'll be talking about another really good start that he just had. Well, if this is kind of the for real what we're going to get from Fulty for the rest of the year, I think the Braves absolutely would start in the playoffs because I think this is what they were counting on when they didn't make a lot of starting pitching moves this offseason. I think they were counting on Fulty at least maintaining similar production to what he had a year ago. Um, So that's good, and it's a credit to the Braves that they could be up six games where really the fourth and fifth starters have been inconsistent all year. But we just talked about Kevin Gosman earlier, and he was – DFA'd and gone before anybody knew about it and I do wonder if it's because the Braves didn't they didn't even try him in the bullpen I think it was more just okay we feel good about Fulty now so you can get out of here I trade deadline just passed and and saw the the tweet from Jeff Passan come through said Kevin Gosman is heading to the Cincinnati Reds I'm like I have so many questions and I never I never even considered the fact that they would just wind up trying to float him through waivers but Cincinnati just did us a humongous favor. I mean, not not just getting him off of the roster and paving the way for Fulty, but this this clears some of the money and and allows uh, Mark Melanson, Shane Green, Chris Martin to wind up getting paid. And as for trying him in the bullpen, I 
there's kind of the question of where he would go. Because now, even, even with all of the new guys and the, the performance hasn't exactly stepped up for, for just the bullpen in general. But, I mean, there kind of wasn't any, really anywhere to put him unless you were going to phantom DL somebody. Newcomb's the only one out there who's still got options. I mean, you're not going to get rid of Swarzak. Uh, Luke Jackson, you'd have to have to DFA. And some teams are still in love with saves, so somebody would wind up absolutely... I mean, if somebody wants Kevin Gossman, you know somebody's going to take Luke Jackson. So... Uh, you're not going to send Newcomb down. Obviously, not going to get rid of any of the new guys. And Josh Tomlin has the Ryan Flaherty invisibility thing uh, for this year, or invincibility rather. So, you know, there kind of wasn't even anywhere to really stick him out there. So, or maybe maybe they said this is something we'd like to try, and he was like, Nah, I'm starting or I'm nothing. And they're like, Okay, well now you can go start in a ballpark where you're going to give up. Um, two home runs every nine innings instead of, you know, one and a quarter or something. Like, I, I just have this really bad feeling for Gossman that he's going to go to Great American Ballpark and get completely destroyed. I could be wrong. We had talked about how he could work in the bullpen. We've been talking about that all season. But I think it, it's more a symptom of, like, playing in a place that would be really conducive to the way that he pitches, and Cincinnati's not really that. No, and Cincinnati's already announced he's going to the bullpen. He's not starting there. Yeah. Oh, I know. And I think at that point, once once he gets to the new team, like he doesn't have any leverage to to say no to them. Where it's just like, all right. I mean, and Cincinnati's rotation is actually it's pretty good. So he would he would wind up slotting into the to the fifth man or the the swingman role anyway. Even if even if he was going in the rotation, but and it, it it's just kind of compounding when when the Braves started this season with Camargo and Culberson and Flowers or McCann on all on the bench, one of the talking points was this team has a lot of depth. And um, right now, today, that depth's getting tested a little bit, man. Uh, and, and it's not the same when you're talking about pitching depth versus position depth, but it does kind of put the onus on the rest of these guys, particularly Fulte and Freed, to step up. And they, they don't really have room to to fail anymore there's not there's not a limitless supply of people behind them we've already seen Kyle Wright has gotten knocked around up here Bryce Wilson's gotten knocked around Tukey's gotten knocked around there's not really like if the Braves are going to go far those two guys have to step up now yeah and and hopefully you know we're to the point of the season now where we can start talking about magic numbers so even it's not going to be an easy thing to do, but we we are in August. You know, there's a lot of division games, so where instead of just knocking one game off that, that you could with a win against a division rival, you could knock two off. So hopefully, there is going to be some type of opportunity for the younger guys to step in after the division is clinched or after it's really really within striking distance to where you can kind of not necessarily rest, but kind of rest. For the, for the playoffs and say, you know, we're going to let you recover a little bit of what this season has done to you for, for Soroka and for Freed. You know, Keuchel, I think, is going to be fine because he didn't really start ramping up his pitching until like two months ago. So that's where I think you're going to start to see guys like Wright and Wilson really be able to make their contribution, maybe kind of stake their claim on a rotation spot for next year. Wright has been much, much better over his last six AAA starts. Six quality starts in a row, um, really keeping the walks down, really keeping the home home runs down. Uh, but he knows he's not going to wind up going to the, to the playoffs. He knows that he's and uh, Bryce Wilson knows the exact same thing. So depth, 
you know, this this is why you keep stockpiling pitchers. People were asking questions for years. God, why do we need all these pitchers? This right now that you're seeing, this is exactly why. Because it's not just a slam dunk that everybody's going to show up and just be Mike Soroka all the time. So there's, there's still a lot of value in a lot of these guys, and I like the fact that the Braves have been pretty consistent about getting these high upside pitchers. But... Uh, but yeah, it's not just on the pitching side where the, the depth is being tested. Now Austin Riley is going on the IL, and who do you replace him with? See, if if Travis Demerit hadn't been traded, this would have been a perfect time for Demerit to get his call up here in Atlanta. Right, yeah. But you're, you just mentioned that with an LCL injury, partially torn LCL is the word on Austin Riley. You are dangerously low because Dansby Swanson has not progressed nearly as fast as they thought they would, and, and bone bruises and bruises on your heel can be particularly tricky because there's not really anything you can do. I mean, anytime you walk on it, you can make it worse. This is going to be very difficult for the Braves right now. With Culberson having to start right now because Johan just can't seem to do anything right now, you are really down to Matt Joyce as, as like the only other real bench bat to count on, and Joyce isn't exactly somebody that you're going to say, okay, he's going to take us over the top. There's not anybody really in the minors right now. Maybe Alex Jackson, but I don't think they're going to bring him up to not use him. So the, the, I don't have a good solution right now for who the Braves should bring up. Maybe Lucas Duda, who they just signed, but what's Duda going to do? Freddie never gets nev- Freddie really never gets days off. So what are you going to do with Lucas Duda? I mean, essentially, you'd be using him just as a bat, which. I mean, which would be fine. I mean, it would give you a power threat off the bench. And Alex Jackson, even for as well as he's been playing for the past six weeks or so, um, he had a, a real short cup of coffee after McCann and Flowers got injured within about 12 minutes of each other in a game against the Marlins uh, earlier this year. But he didn't wind up getting a hit in that. So um, it, if you're just going to call him up to have a pinch hitter, somebody who's who's got uh, some juice in the bat, I mean, Duda is probably the best option there. I mean, you can look up and down that lineup and see somebody like Rafael Ortega or Andres Blanco or Pedro Florimon, who, who's got some, some big league experience, where you can say, all right, you can make a case for that, but AAA is not, not the big leagues. And Ortega, yeah, he's got 21 home runs this year, and he played a little bit for the Marlins last year. It's not like you're calling up a strictly quad A guy, but, but you're right. I mean, there, there's not a ton of guys that are, that are down in AAA right now to where you just feel really comfortable bringing them up. Ender left a game the other day. Uh, it was the, I think, the first game of the Twin Series, and everybody's like, "Call up Pache, call up Waters." Like they haven't even tried on their AAA uniforms yet. <laughs> it's not, you know, the um, the days of having all of that depth stacked at the very top of the minors. Like a lot of those guys have graduated. A lot of those guys are on the big league club now, or they're with the Tigers. You're right, Travis Demerit or Demerit. I still don't know how to pronounce his name. He would have, he would be the perfect, most logical option right now, but he's he's gone. That's kind of the the weird thing about about trading prospects that we haven't had to even think about for for years. Like Joey Wentz is is the biggest prospect that that has been traded since since we started tracking prospects like this. So listen, listen. Why did you have to bring that up again? I don't. I'm just trying to break your heart over here, man. I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. By the way, did you see how good his first start as a Tiger was? I did. I did. Uh, oh, Joey. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go ahead and um, I'm gonna jump off here real quick. I'm gonna go buy some Tigers gear. <sighs> anyway, okay, I can't focus on that, or I'm gonna get real depressed. 
before we end this segment, there, there's something else that I want to talk about. And we mentioned it in passing about the bullpen, about the three new guys. And you mentioned it a little bit earlier. With the depth being tested with the with the position players, the bullpen is definitely going to have to find some way to staunch the blood flow. Uh, maybe somebody needs to burn a sock or something. Uh, maybe somebody needs to try a new ritual. For whatever reason, the Braves in the ninth inning have not uh, has not really agreed with their relievers this year. Shane Green, who Doc, you know, I've been telling you for what a year and a half now that Shane Green is is not the not the piece de resistance. If I, um, he's already given up, given up five earned runs in two and two thirds innings. Wasn't it something like five earned runs allowed pretty much all year as a tiger? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's about right. And, uh, it's not that he's pitched necessarily pitched that badly, but what I've noticed is he's leaving a lot of stuff over the plate. Now, some of that should be expected because he's working with new catchers. So he's got to, they've got to figure him out. He's got to figure them out and it's a new place. He's in a pennant race, all that stuff. But this is one of those things that you and I talked about why ERA is not a great indicator for what a guy's going to continue to do. When you dug into Shane Green's numbers a little bit deeper, you started to see that there was some big time regression. I mean, his FIP was almost two points higher than his ERA. It's not that unexpected. It's not necessarily that. And he had some fluky hits against him in his first outing as a Brave, too. But the bigger deal is obviously, if you don't throw 100 miles an hour, you can't leave a ball over the heart of the plate belt high down the middle uh, and he's done that a few times mark melanson on the other hand melanson i have been extremely happy with i thought i feel like melanson has been just what the braves have needed and i this is a guy that if you would ask me a year ago if i wanted mark melanson i would have probably smacked you um but i stand by my tweet that he's going to end up being the closer on this team i think he's the guy that his stuff fits best for for what the Braves were expecting to get out of him. There wasn't a real discernible difference between his ERA, his FIP, or his Sierra, anything like that. It was all pretty stationary. And, and, and he's got the experience. He's been around the National League. He's seen a lot of the guys that he's facing. And he finally seems healthy. So I'm so far, I think Green will be better than he's been. I'm not going to expect him to do what he was doing in Detroit this year, uh, especially when last year he was one of the worst relievers in baseball, but he will be better than he's been. Chris Martin I really enjoy because he looks just like Chad Sabatka, only if Chad Sabatka had a fourth pitch and didn't walk people, which is exactly what you and I have wanted out of Chad Sabatka. Yeah, I mean, I agreed. I, I think that Martin has looked really, really good. The only the only bad pitch that he's thrown in a Braves uniform just happened to get hit um, – it was last seen passing Manitoba. I mean, it's Miguel Sano just absolutely pulverized that ball. But Melanson, I've been super impressed. He's not backing down from anybody. He's going right after guys. Green Green is a weird one. He had the Luke Jackson special in his first appearance. You know, just bloop hit after bloop hit after bloop hit. And the next thing you know, uh, the game wind up, or the Reds wind up tying it. And then the next day, the next day was just bad. And, and uh, when he wound up giving up the home run to Barnhart, and then this game against the Twins, Snit's like, okay, it is twelve to six. You can screw up a lot, and you're not gonna lose us this game. There's no pressure. Just go out and do your thing. And he wound up giving up a home run to Eddie Rosario, which Eddie Rosario hits home runs. That's gonna happen, but still, like, okay, how much more pressure can we take off the situation here, man? So I'm I'm not worried. It's it's the first week. You're right. It's new catchers. It's new routine. It's new everything for these guys. So Melanson, I think you could be onto something there. He's the vet. He's crafty. He's been around. He, like I said, he's fearless. He doesn't back down from anybody. But this is this is why, you know, everybody keeps making the point. 
looking at you, Chip. You know, there's three closers. You can, you know, if one of them's not working, you can plug in the other guy. And as for as many times as he's made that point, it is actually a good point because you can't be sure that the fact that there were there's a two-run differential between Green's ERA and his FIP wouldn't wind up starting to normalize a little bit. So you can say, all right, whatever. We got Chris Martin over here. We're going to plug him in. We got Melanson. That it's I'm totally fine with it. And you also, in theory, you have Luke Jackson as your fourth closer. <laughs> I, I did like seeing him go out in the 10th inning and strike out the side against the Reds. That was kind of poetic justice for him, I think. So not, not worried about the new guys. I'm really... I'm really not too worried about it. I think that there's... Um, bullpen's still better than it was. I mean, don't you feel better about having those guys than having Minter in there right now? I feel a lot better. Even if Martin might give up some home runs, which I don't expect him to pitch any worse in our ballpark than he did in Texas, I love the fact that you have at least one guy in your bullpen that just doesn't walk people now. And he's a guy that comes with a big fastball. I think Martin's a guy that the Braves will probably try to re-sign this offseason. And I keep mentioning it with Melanson. I like what he gives you. I'm a big fan of his... I don't think there's a big difference between Shane Green and Luke Jackson, to tell you the truth. I think they're pretty similar pitchers. Uh, Jackson throws a little bit harder. Green is a little has a little bit better command, but I think they're pretty similar. And even then, while we may hate on Luke Jackson, he was still the best bullpen guy you had. So essentially, the guy that I think was probably the worst of the three that you added is as good as the best guy you had. So... It's nothing but a net win there. I feel pretty good about it. I think though, I think it's going to be more about just getting them into the routine and maybe getting past this weird superstitious this weird superstitious stretch where nothing seems to work. But I, I think they'll be fine. I feel a lot better about the bullpen now. And with the lineup going the way it's going, we're going to take a quick break here. We'll talk about this more when we come back. But with the lineup the way it's going, particularly the top three, this Braves team can battle with anybody. No doubt about it. I mean, you you saw it this series. Twins, one of the best offenses in baseball, and the Braves are like, yeah, that's real cu- cute. We're, we're about to beat up on you guys big time. And they did. Not just that. Not just that. They hung nine on Jose Barrios, who's one of the most talented arms in Major League Baseball. Worst start of his entire career. And uh, with that said, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about those offensive numbers as well as some historic things that could be happening for one Atlanta Brave. And we'll discuss some of the minor league progression that I know you guys have been waiting to hear ever since they were announced. Thank you guys so much. We'll be back right after this here on the Platinum Sombrero. This week's episode of the Platinum Sombrero podcast is brought to you by Boys to Men's Warehouse. From large to small and big and tall, Boys to Men's Warehouse has got you covered. Literally. Our suits have a special wicking material so you won't have to wait till the water runs dry. And this breathable fabric will keep you cool through all four seasons of loneliness. You'll look so fresh, every Jezebel in town will be saying, I'll make love to you like you want me to. They'll be all over your inseam. Our custom pant legs are extra long so they won't ride up when you're on bended knee. We also offer rentals in case you only need those special threads for one sweet day. Come visit our newest location in Motown, Philly. Boys to Men's Warehouse. Patent pending.
Welcome back to the Platinum Sombrero, everybody. Brought to you by our friends at SeatGeek. SeatGeek, the home for all of your seat-buying needs, whether that be a baseball game, football game, concert, a play, whatever it is that you need to go to. If you need a ticket to get in there, chances are SeatGeek has those tickets at the best possible value. They have a great algorithm that scours the internet market, showing what a good price would be for a certain venue. For instance, a game against the Marlins, probably not going to cost you as much as a game against the Dodgers would. SeatGeek accounts for that lets you know what a good value is for that particular seat even lets you know if that's a good seat or not so you don't get stuck sitting on that one place in the stadium where there's a pillar right between you and the field seatgeek.com you can also use their patented app that does the same thing it's not just for buying tickets though if you're selling a ticket you can put them up on seatgeek maybe if you've got a ticket to the mayor show that our patron megan is going to tomorrow or friday so when you guys are listening to this you can put it up on SeatGeek, and it'll tell you how much you need to be charging for that seat, what's a good value for you, what's a good value for them. It also lets you know by easy, color-coded direction. So sorry if you're colorblind, but if you're not, green is good, yellow is okay, red is bad. Same as the stoplight, SeatGeek.com, the easiest in all of your ticket-buying purchases. And use our promo code ACAA, and you'll get $20 off at checkout just for throwing our name into the ring. SeatGeek.com, life's an event, and we have the tickets. All right, Doc, we had a little bit more in that first segment that we didn't get that we didn't get to get to. So I think the start of this segment is a great time to bash the Mets because it's just funny. But before we do, we need to talk about our Patreon and our, our four patrons now, by the way, who we love very much. So, Doc, without further ado, the patron is your baby. Let him know all about it, please, sir. Uh, big thanks to Megan, Tara, and our, our two uh, newest patrons, Aaron and Jason. Uh, Jason, if you're out there and listening to us, uh, feel free to uh, shoot your email over to us so uh, we can uh, put your name in the hat for eventually appearing on an episode, talk some Braves, play some extra innings, uh, so on and so forth. You know, we, we really do appreciate uh, everybody who, who has uh, donated. And even if you've even uh, considered uh, becoming a patron of the show, we, we certainly appreciate that too. Um, you know, we just, we want to do the best we can for you guys. You might notice that, that I sound a little bit better, uh, than I, than I did in previous episodes. That is, that is partially the work of our patrons. So we're working to bring you a better, friendlier, uh, crisper sounding TPS week after week. So, uh, thank you to everyone. And if you've got anywhere between, uh, 47 and 2 million cents laying around that you are not using, then, um, consider donating to the Platinum Saburo Patreon. Thank you very much. By the way, should we would be remiss to mention, we will be having merchandise coming in September, so hint, hint, we will be adjusting some things accordingly. Y'all, thank you so much. For real, though, thank you guys so much for, for donating it all. We really do appreciate that you guys like us enough to give us some money. We know that's not, uh, not always the easiest thing to do, so we really do appreciate it. It means a lot. So, let's get to something fun that I think we can all enjoy all enjoy and that's bashing the Mets. Yes, let's um, bash the Mets. <laughs> now let let's preface this first by being the unbiased part. The Mets have been winning a ton of games against garbage teams, but they've been winning a ton of games, and you can't quite overlook that. I mean, the Braves did get swept by the Royals. Uh, so certainly bad teams can't catch you on any sort of day or series. So it is a credit to the Mets that they've managed to get out of their own way long enough to kind of get themselves back to respectability in the National League East. That being said, it's not like they're going out there beating the Twins and the Dodgers. It's it's funny you mentioned the Twins. They, they actually, um, 
they they did beat the Twins. They they, they took two against the Twins, uh, bef- uh, like very very early on in this streak. But uh, but yeah, I mean for the most part, like they they beat the the Pirates twice uh, in a series. They they beat uh, the Padres. They beat the Marlins twice. I mean th- they're winning the games that you're supposed to win. But there's a, a comment that Freddie Freeman had right around the trade deadline where he said, you know, getting those types of uh, additions, these new players is really a signal from the front from the front office and it really kind of lights the fire under everybody. And for as confusing as what the Mets did was to everybody. I mean, they were supposed to be selling pieces, they were going to trade Wheeler and they were going to trade Syndergaard and then instead they're like, "Nah, we're going to buy." And everybody's like, "What are you doing? Why would you do that?" And now you kind of see why. I think the fact that everybody went and they're they're like, "Okay, well we've got Marcus Stroman now." So everybody's like, maybe we can win this. Because truthfully, DeGrom, Syndergaard, Wheeler, Stroman, that is a brutal, that is a brutal top four. And they've got Pete Alonso and, and Jeff McNeil. They've got, they've got some good pieces on this team. And they are about to leapfrog the Phillies and be in third place, which for as much as I love hating on the Mets, and I do, I just love hating on the Mets. I love hating on the Phillies too. And seeing those two uh, vying for third and fourth place just gives me a lot of joy. But there's a Braves series coming up against the Mets next week. I think that after the Braves play the Marlins this weekend, they are going to face the Mets. So that's going to be one of the biggest tests that the Mets have. They're, they're about to play us. They're about to play the Cubs. They're about to play the Indians. I think there's a series with the Dodgers in there. So anybody who's like really panicking about the fact that the Mets are 18-6 and six since the All-Star break, we're about to find out just how real that is. So And also, LOL, Mets. Just, just because... <laughs> I believe it's something like 10 of their next 11 series are against teams that are over 500. So the Mets are really about to get into the toughness of their schedule. Uh, and and just to continue being the unbiased party here for a little bit, you can't control who you play when you play. You can only control the outcome of the games. And the Mets have, right now, probably the most talented pitching staff in all of baseball when you consider Jacob deGrom is a top two pitcher in baseball. For my money, he's the best pitcher in baseball, but it depends on how you feel about Max Scherzer. Um, Noah Syndergaard is, without a doubt, one of the most talented pitchers in all of baseball, pure arm talent. Zach Wheeler's very talented. And Stroman, while I'm still not happy with him, the person, he's still a very good pitcher. Uh, There's still a lot of questions about how all of these guys fit together. Uh, I mentioned to you off-air, might have been last week or the week before, that Noah Syndergaard is, is actually... Would, should be considered a ground ball pitcher, just a ground ball pitcher that strikes out a ton of people, that he, he gets like 49% ground ball rates, the Mets still have an atrocious infield defense. So that would be, if there's any Mets fan that stumbled across this episode, I'm going to try to play nice with you for, for this instant. Be very happy with what you have in, in Pete Alonso and Jeff McNeil. I believe Jeff McNeil has the third highest weighted runs created plus in all of baseball, which is crazy to think of. Uh, but he's done nothing but hit. Michael Conforto's been very good this year. Uh, starting pitching is good. The bullpen is starting to come around. So the Mets are playing really good baseball after the All-Star break. But I do think you and I can say it's a bit of a mirage, and there's still a lot of parts and pieces that just don't fit well together. The fact that they still have uh, the ghost of Todd Frazier at third base, the fact that Robin uh, Robinson Cano at this point might not be able to beat Brian McCann in a foot race. Like, there's still a lot on that team that doesn't make me all too worried as a Braves fan. Same, and I think that that having a head-to-head matchup of who the Braves are now versus who the Mets are now is going to be going to be really interesting. But they. They don't seem 
as hateable as they were in previous years for any reason other than the fact that they're just the Mets. You know, when you look at Pete Alonso, I mean, I like Pete Alonso. And Jeff McNeil is basically what happens when Trey Turner plays the Braves all of the time. You know, like that, he's he's a great, great hitter and he's an absolute pest. But I don't know. This this division is like everybody was so, you know, the Braves were under underperforming for a really long time. And the, the Nationals the Nationals don't even talk about what happened before May the 24th. And the Phillies were, like, for a minute, it looked like they were going to be the only good team in the division. And now this is, this is the only division in baseball that's got four teams over 500. Now the Marlins are, are down there dragging down the, the overall average in the division here. And this isn't to say that the NL East is the best division, because you look at the, the AL East with the Yankees and the Rays, you look at the AL West, there's some great competition in there. Um, but it's got to make you feel good knowing that for the way that the Braves have played against the Phillies after that first series and the way that they have uh, played against the Nationals outside of that first series as well when they wound up hanging like a 14-4 loss on us, you know, it's hard to win a good division and do so convincingly. And the fact that, that everybody... Uh, or that the Nationals have played as well as they have, and the fact that the Mets are starting to surge and the Braves are still kind of maintaining their lead right now, I think it's really good. It's not like last year when the Phillies just completely fell apart down the stretch and then the Nationals weren't, you know, they tried to make a push at the very end, but they were too far out at that point. I mean, this is this is what we thought the division was going to look like coming into this year. So winning this version of the NL East is huge. And it's not just that. I wonder, with the way that the Mets have been playing, if it kind of cools that hot seat under Mickey Calloway a little bit. Um, and it, it, you can kind of tell it by the way the managers are in the NL East. And I, I've been saying this all year, that these teams are far more talented than they've been playing right now. The Nationals, obviously, like David Martinez has to be gone soon. There's just no excuse for the Nationals being six games out because they were so atrocious early in the year. But it speaks to the Phillies. I know that Phillies team has a lot of injuries, but they're still a lot more talented than they're playing. They just happen to have who I think might be the worst manager in baseball. Yeah, I mean, and when Brian Snitker is looking like a tactical genius compared to some of the other guys in the division, I mean, that, that says a lot. And I, I like Snit, but he, he, is, uh, he is not a brilliant tactician. And Dave Martinez, you know, he, he was able to help turn that team around. And Mickey Calloway, I swear to God, I, I would have bet, I would have gone to mybookie.ag and play, <laughs> placed a very sizable sum on the fact that Mickey Calloway was not going to wind up finishing the season as the Mets manager. So, and Gabe Kapler, I mean, you've, you've seen it. <laughs> you know, you know, they're, they're down 7-1, to one, and then he's going to bring in a lefty to phase Ozzy Albies with the bases loaded. Like, have you studied the charts? Like, what's in that binder that's next to you, man? Like, do, where's your bench coach? So, any, anyway, but even even outside of that, there's a lot of, talent like player talent in this division and you can good players make up for a lot as as you've seen with with some of the the stuff that, that's happened with uh with snitcher this year and i think that he's he is compared to the rest of the division he is he is the best manager that's out there not just for people but for tactical moves but i don't know man this is we're to the point now a lot of division games mets marlins coming to town and a uh, bunch of games with the phillies in september so we get to see it firsthand. This this is this is the masterpiece. We get to, we get to come see uh, the Braves win the division against the division. Wouldn't it be great to win 
the division, like to clinch against a division rival again last year. It was great. It was great winning last year, but doing it against the Phillies was extra sweet. Oh, no doubt. And it's one of those things. This is going to be kind of a weird season for everybody that was, you know, pissing and moaning about the schedule early on before the season started, talking about how late it would be before we played any real games. This is going to kind of be a really fun end of the season because when you play a division opponent, it's big swings in the rankings, and there's still a ton of games in division between the Braves and the Nationals and the Mets and the Phillies. There's a lot. Like, these guys, six games is not out of it right now. Like, six games is not anything that you can just say, all right, the division's over. Like, the Braves don't have an opportunity right now to just, all right, cool, we can go into to prevent defense mode to steal a football term. They have, They still have to be on their P's and Q's because – there's a lot of interdivision games here. There is no reason to let, let their foot off the gas, too. And with the way that everybody's playing, you know, you alluded at the end of the first segment to the way that the Braves' offense has been going. They have certainly missed Dansby in the field and in and, and the lineup, too. It's, it's kind of hard to tell the way that they played against Minnesota. But with Acuna, Albies, Freeman at the top, I mean, even when Dansby does come back, I don't know if you can take Ozzy out of that second spot. I mean, he and... No way. No way at all. Yeah, I mean, and with Acuna, he just hit freaking hyperdrive after the All-Star break. I mean, he's... Do you think he's going to get 40-40? I'm glad you mentioned that, because there's no doubt that he's going 30-30. He's sitting on 29 homers and 26 steals. He might get 30-30 before, before the Marlins series is over. But... And if he does that, by the way, I'm sure you guys have heard this ad nauseum, but it would be the first time since 1991 when Ron Gant did it. But 40-40 is a totally different club. There's been a fair number of people that have gone 30-30. 40-40 is very elite company, and I do think Ronald can do it this year. It's going to be harder with the steals than it will be with the homers. I have no doubt he'll get to 40 homers. Getting another 14 steals this season, that's going to be a little bit trickier. But there's no doubt he can do it. And... The, the crazier thing on this is he really wasn't stealing a lot of bases until like two weeks before the two weeks before the All-Star break when all of a sudden he's like, you know what? I feel like stealing bases, and he just happens to be one of the best in baseball at it. And that's the, the mark of a tremendous athlete like that to where he can just kind of make the decision like, you know what? I think I'm going to go be fast now. And and how many caught stealings has he had? I mean, I, I'm not, I don't have his, his caught stealing right in front of me, but I mean, it seems like every time he goes that he winds up swiping it. So... All he has to do now, he has to go, well, you said he's got 29 and 26 right now? Yeah. So he's got to go 11-14 for the rest of the season, and there's 46 games left, I think. So, I mean, that's completely doable. I mean, that's basically keeping up the home run pace that he's been on all season, hitting one every four games. And then with the way that he's been stealing bases recently, I mean, as long as as long as long he doesn't hit an extended cold stretch, because he does have to be on base for this, to, to wind up stealing, uh, stealing the bases, but I mean... It's entirely possible, and the fact that we're actually able to have this conversation this late in the season and say, like, it's looking increasingly likely. I mean, even if he doesn't get it, if, say he winds up, like, in the 37-37 club, you know, people can glamorize, you know, 40-40 because they're nice round numbers, but, I mean, even so, how many guys have done that? You know, like, you're talking Jose Canseco, Alfonso Soriano, Mike Trout-level guy. I mean, like, this is elite company. This guy's 21. And he just signed his contract extension four months ago. This is the greatest show on earth, man. We get to watch this until, I mean, hopefully till the end of time. I mean. <laughs> By the way, he's been caught stealing six times this year. That's crazy. <laughs> that's unbelievable. I mean, he's, 
it seems like it's a shoe in and and it's such easy power and it's such easy speed. I mean, everybody watches him and it's like it's like we're just used to it now. It's it's not trout level because trout's been doing it for seven years or so and like the worst season he ever had he put up 6.6 war but i mean doing it for seven years and he just turned 28 yesterday yeah and and so like i feel like he's really taken for granted but it's almost like when i watch Acuna, it's like oh he just had a home run 470 feet like the one that he had out out on the concourse against alex wood last friday i'm like jesus dude he's like it's like he's not even trying he just go goes out and he can do whatever he wants and we had talked about his arm as well, about how he doesn't really get a chance to show it in left field. Well, he's made some amazing throws from right ever since Marcakis went down. So, like, what was thought to be the question about whether or not he's actually five tools or just four really, really good tools and one kind of average tool? I mean, I think that he's fully in that five-tool category now. And when Well, if you're talking about him as a right fielder, absolutely, because it's always been defense as a whole. That was that, that question on the fifth tool. Like if if he were a full time center fielder, I wouldn't call him a five tool. But in right field, absolutely. And once you get him on, and if he singles or walks, and then he's still second, and then you've got Ozzy who is right. And granted, we're only talking about seven games here, but who has got the the highest OPS of any month of, of his entire career, and that includes last April when he just went completely ham on every fastball that came his way. And then you got Freddie behind that, and then Donaldson behind that. I mean, where they always say that good pitching shuts down good hitting, but that only goes so far. Like when you've got a lineup that is stacked this deep, you know, Austin Riley was hitting out of his mind, and he helped carry the lineup for a little bit, and then he went completely cold, and it's like you almost couldn't tell just because the lineup kept rolling, and then Adam Duvall stepped in, and he's regressing just a little bit, and even. Even while he's doing that, you know, the Braves were hanging 23 on the Twins. Like, I don't know. they they going to screw around and wind up in the World Series. Just just by virtue of every single person in the lineup being able to homer. It's it's just so, so impressive. Acuna is the, the marquee guy, but, like, the, the depth of this lineup and, you know, people love to go out and, Oh, like, you know, why are, why are you putting Brian McCann in the lineup? Or why, why are you putting Johan Camargo out there? And then, you know, Camargo goes out and he drives in two yesterday. He's looked lost at the plate, too, but he wound up contributing to it. Everybody's capable of contributing. Ender has been second-half Ender since he came back. You know, I just, we love it, dude. We love it. And it's not just Acuna, too. While he is obviously the firebrand and he is the the piece that keeps the machine moving, I don't want to just put that into a group. These three guys especially deserve to be talked about individually. When you're talking about Ozzy, Ozzy's hitting 296, which is awesome. Now, if you're like me and you, an average doesn't really bother us unless it's on the super low end of the spectrum. What's been the crazy difference in Ozzy this year, one, he's got 17 homers, and you and I have always kind of pegged him as right around a 20-homer guy. But he's got a 351 OBP. And considering that last year, I believe he was at 296 for his OBP or somewhere in the 290s, maybe at like 305, for him to jump that up 40 points in one year is astronomical. And that is the biggest reason why Ozzy Albies has gone from a very good player into one of the top second basemen in all of baseball and one of the best young superstars in the game. He doesn't get the fanfare of Acuna, and nor should he really, because while, while Ozzy is great, Acuna is just different level great. Acuna is transcendent. Ozzy is normal great. 
but when he's getting on base at that type of clip, he can steal bases too, even though he's only got 11 on the season, but he hits a ton of doubles, and he's just this type of Aussie who's able to be more disciplined. This is a totally different type of player. That's why I don't think that Dansby's going to be take, coming back to the two spot when he comes back. Aussie being at this place and really having a switch hitter who can go mammo deep, uh, spring a bunch of doubles, score from first base, that's a huge thing to have in front of Freddie Freeman. And that's not to say that Dansby can't do that stuff, but when Aussie's able to do this and be that firebrand and have a 350 OBP, it's just a totally different Aussie. No doubt. And and everybody everybody knows about how good he was for it wasn't even the first half of the season. It was mainly just that April that he was amazing and then he his numbers just gradually tended to decline for the rest of the year. And he hasn't really seen <clears throat> excuse me. He hasn't really seen that much of a drop off this year. I mean he, he I he was a little low in May, but then he came back in June. He he was super hot in July. And like I said, this month he's just completely on fire. So and he's proven to be a lot more like 2017 Aussie than 2018 Aussie, which is like the best case scenario. And super sound on defense too. Not mega flashy, but he he's not gonna go out and botch something that he's supposed to a play that he's gonna wind up making. He's just he's just so solid from top to bottom. And I would like to see him start running more. It's it's probably a weird spot with the fact that he's hitting right in front of Freddie because. He's got those tiny little legs. He's got to take a whole lot more steps than Acuna does. He's maybe not quite as explosive. He's just fast. So you run a higher risk of winding up getting caught than you do when you're somebody like Acuna. But he's still got it in him. And you you see him when he gets the sprint speed going. Like he, he's got the legs from the cartoon. You know, he just goes flying around second and diving into third base. And, yeah, just and, – and then – and then you've got you know you got you got Acuna and Albies, and then you get, then you got to deal with Freddie after that. And we we've, we've been watching Freddie for it's hard to believe that Freddie debuted in 2010, and it's 2019 now that we've been lucky enough to to watch watch him for almost an entire decade. So and and he's going to wind up being being a career brave. He's he's next in that that chipper realm right there. So Acuna, Albies, Freeman. I mean, get used to that for forever, like. I, and Freddie Freeman, by the way, Freddie Freeman himself, he's in one of these home run binges that he goes into. Three consecutive games with home runs. And he hits some home runs that I don't know that I've ever seen other people hit the same way. Like he'll he'll get caught with a sword and it'll be a home run. And I don't know that I've ever seen that as often as I see it from Freddie. It's just when he when Freddie is in this type of zone that he's in, you can't pitch to him. There's there's no pitcher in the league that can get Freddie the way that he is right now. You're talking about a guy with a 400 OBP hitting about 310. He's he's got 29 homers, so he's going to hit 40 home runs this year, I'll bet. He's got 92 ribbies already. This is a different year for Freddie. This is finally the year that nationally people start to take notice, and the Braves as a whole, I believe there's they're the only team in baseball that has four players with 3 F4 or higher. That is correct. When you consider Josh Donaldson as well, who, despite an abysmal start to the year results-wise, has really turned it on ever since the Joe Musgrove incident and has really kind of blossomed into the player that all of us were hoping he would be. So when you've got these four going the way that they are right now, I don't know that there's a better one through four in all of baseball. And, and once Dansby comes back, you know, if he, if he hadn't been out, your war is a, is a counting stat. It's cumulative. So Dansby would be probably pretty close to being three war as well. And so if if nobody's got four, then 
the, nobody's got five either. So I mean, that's that's huge to have. And you and you can when you've got everybody like that just stacked in your lineup, then you can bear the fact that that Nick Barkakis was just really kind of starting to the cracks were really starting to show before before his injury. Still love the guy, but you know he had point two WAR on the season. Point two. Um, we talked about Austin Riley and the fact that he was starting to fall apart. And Ender was first half Ender for for the first half as it tends to go. And Camargo is um, almost negative one F war this entire season, and that's in that's in negative excuse me in limited playing time. So having that top four, you really can bear for the struggles of some other things. And that's not to say that these guys are struggling all the time and some guys will have their contributions and spurts. I mean, that's just how it goes. You're, you're rarely going to have somebody who doesn't hit at least one cold stretch at some point during a 162-game season. But there's, there's more on the way. There's more offense that's coming on the way. I mean, some of these guys that are down on the farm right now are really just, they're just knocking on the door. And, you know, next year... You know, we could be seeing guys like Christian Pache and Drew Waters like integrating into this lineup, and they're you know, Ozzy and Acuna, you know, 21, 22 years old, and then they're going to have two 20 year olds just joining this team as well. So it's just such a good time. If you we we asked whether or not there are any uh, Mets fans who happen to stumble across this this podcast. If you're a bandwagon fan and you're wondering whether or not to become a Braves fan, and you made it, looks to be about an hour into the episode. Um, you know, get on now and stay on for a long time because this this thing is like this is going. It's going big time. And you mentioned Pache and Waters, and it's not just those two. Those two get called up to Gwinnett on the same day, which you and I were kind of hoping would happen. But Ian Anderson gets up to Gwinnett. CJ Anderson or CJ Alexander goes to Mississippi, and the Mississippi rotation itself, as Tucker Davidson goes to Gwinnett as well, the Mississippi rotation got decimated in the span of a couple hours. But if you're a Braves fan. Don't just keep a watch on Christian Pache and Drew Waters, who you could see Pache this year, theoretically, in September. I think you've got – I think if you're asking me, and I've been asked this question a lot. They asked me about this yesterday on 6 of the Fan, about could we see any of these guys this year. Uh, and they were talking about Ian Anderson uh, and Drew Waters and Christian Pache. If that's the case, I, don't, I think Pache would be the only one of those three, potentially. I think Tucker Davidson might have the best chance out of all of them because Davidson and Pache both have to be on the 40-man uh, this December to protect them from the Rule 5. So they're obviously going to be on it. Pache, there's a lot of talk and a lot of scuttlebutt around uh, some people that I trust that Pache may break camp with the Braves next year. They might not play service time games with him. He may just break camp as a starting center fielder. But Tucker Davidson's a guy that's had an incredible season. He's a lefty, which the Braves have in very short supply in the bullpen right now. He doesn't walk a ton of guys. He gets a lot of good strikeouts. He throws hard, and he's had an amazing season. He's done it as a starter, but I do think ultimately you'd see him as a reliever in the big leagues. I think you and I could agree on that. But there's just name after name right now. And maybe it is Ian Anderson. Maybe Ian, he did get shelled his first Gwinnett start. Uh, but maybe Ian adapts quickly and he gets a September start or two. But you could conceive, I don't think you're seeing Drew Waters, by the way. Let's get that out of the way. Um, injuries or whatnot, I don't think you see Drew Waters in the Major League Club this year. Uh, if I were a betting man, I would say you don't see Ian Anderson either. Pache is kind of 50-50. He might get a September call-up to get some action, but I'm not sure. Um, but I would I would think Tucker Davidson would be the guy that he might have the best shot at getting up in this team. I think so. And Anthopoulos, when when the word came out and this was officially announced, he, he did mention that 
they haven't completely ruled anything out, but there are a couple of guys that are kind of ahead of uh, ahead of them right now. You know, you've got Kyle Wright, Bryce Wilson. You've got Jeremy Walker, who got called up today as a corresponding move for Austin Riley. And good, good for Jeremy, by the way. I really enjoy watching Jeremy. Yeah, and, and I'm I'm glad to see him back. I I was really hoping that they were going to bring back Patrick Weigel. I me too. I wanted to see him get in the game. I know, and and he will. I think that he he's definitely going to wind up logging some meaningful innings. Uh, once they have a better idea of what's going on with Riley, and you know, if they wind up using Walker tonight, uh, I know that he's kind of like that contingency plan guy right now, just in case they need somebody to go multiple innings. Uh, hopefully, since we're playing the Marlins tonight, that will uh, that won't wind up being a thing. But I think that we'll wind up seeing Weigel relatively soon. But as far as Davidson being uh, being a reliever, it it kind of comes back to what we talked about in the first segment about Kevin Gossman, and there just not really being room for him as as currently as the bullpen is currently architected but when rosters expand i think this is the last year that they're actually doing 40-man rosters um i think because i think next year they're going to 28 20 uh yeah and it's like year isn't it like year round they're gonna expand the rosters year round soon they're doing i think it's 26 all year and then it goes to 28 in September so that's gonna that's gonna be really different because I think that there was a lot of kickback from managers basically saying like we're not even playing the same team in September as you know and sometimes when you're in pennant races and you're, you're trying to win your division and stuff and you wind up playing guys you've never seen before it just adds kind of an unnecessarily difficult layer to the game but as far as Davidson coming up you're right I mean he's he's got to be got to be protected he is a big Big arm. He throws gas. He was hitting 98 this year. He went to driveline in the offseason, much like Kyle Muller did. And he's yet another example of the Braves' ability to find hidden gems in the draft. You know, Ian Anderson, I hate to bring it up, but Joey Wentz, Kyle Muller, Bryce Wilson, Jeremy Walker, all in that 2016 draft in the first five rounds. And then Tucker Davidson in the 19th round is, you know, he has gone from a, a reliever profile at a very tiny college in texas and now he's like knocking on the door and he's going to be a meaningful contributor even even if it's not necessarily um this year like get used to the name because he's gonna he's gonna be one of these guys like weigel that's going to be well positioned to step into the bullpen for a very very long time and help in 2020 2021 um really really excited about him and it's it's nice to see all these guys that have been because pache waters anderson david they have been just dominating Mississippi. They have absolutely just come, just shown out, and every single one of them earned promotions months ago. So it's nice to see them get it, and it's nice to see some of the other movement that's underneath that, too. You know, C.J. Alexander, he was out for a couple of months. Uh, when he came back from his rehab, he went to Florida, and now he's been bumped up to Mississippi. Phil Pfeiffer, who struck out 17 in a game like a couple weeks ago, uh, he got bumped from Florida up to Mississippi. Adolfi Javier uh, came up, and he took Pfeiffer's position in the, in the Florida rotation. Ricky DeVito, who was a 2019 draftee, he came up and he took Javier's position in the, in the Rome rotation. So a lot of moving parts that, um, you know, DeVito's young. He's a, he's a college guy, too. He could wind up moving kind of quickly. But I got I to gotta tell you, man, I'm really surprised at the fact that Justin Dean is still in Rome. I don't really understand what he's still doing there. 
Me either. I'm not. I don't know what the deal is with that. I mean, Justin has far outplayed being in single A, so I don't know if they're just trying to be a little bit cautious because of the injury that kept him out for a little while, or what the deal is. Maybe I. I don't really know. Uh, Justin is certainly deserving of a call up. I hope he gets one soon. But I did want to go back to the Tucker Davidson thing. The only reason I say that Tucker Davidson would have more of a shot than the other guys is because he is left-handed, and that is the Braves have a ton of young arms. Uh, they just happen to all be right-handed. When you talk about Tukey, you talk about Weigel, Enoa, Kyle Wright, Bryce Wilson, Ian Anderson. They're all right-handed. Tucker's the only lefty there. So I think that would be why he would get more of a shot. So say say Newcomb had to go on a, a 10-day IL stint or, or get a little bit of a break, then I think it would be Tucker Davidson coming up. No, that's, that's a really good point. That is a really good point. Now, as far as Ricky DeVito, he's a guy that I wasn't super high on him in the draft. I wasn't down on him either, but I've been very pleasantly surprised with him. Uh, and Odalvi Javier, this is, I don't think you'll ever see him in the big league club, obviously, but this is a guy that I like what he's done so far, and he definitely deserved a call-up. So it's nice to see when guys who aren't the main guys, uh, and even C.J. Alexander is a name that a lot of Braves fans know, but a lot of these guys that are kind of the undersung guys, the undersold guys, when they start getting rewarded for their good play, it's good to see too. Hopefully we see Justin come up soon, man. But we gotta we got to talk real quick because we're running out of time here. Uh, really, really quick, Boggy from Knock Home Nation, one of our good buddies, was uh, sent us a voicemail about uh, – about the AFL and who we think that we should who who we think will go to the AFL and Doc and I were talking about this before the show and I think we kind of agree almost person for person about who we think so you've got it written down Doc what do you think that we see in the AFL this year if I had to guess uh, usually the way that they do it is they'll they'll take either six or eight prospects from from any team uh, four pitchers four hitters uh, two of each that will wind up being full time and then you've got like two taxi squad guys that will only play like two days a week. If I had to guess, I would say the full-time guys are going to be C.J. Alexander and Drew Waters, who we were both just talking about. Alexander, uh, because he missed so much time, um, I think that they might try and get him some extra reps out there. And it's not necessarily like an all-star league. It's, it's sometimes you'll, you'll just see, you know, guys will have, like, homework, basically. And, you know, we're going to send you to the AFL, and we want you to uh, work on hitting change-ups or, or, or something of that ilk. So I think that'd be a good way for him to uh, recoup some at-bats as far as pitchers. I think Patrick Weigel and Waskari Noah, as far as that, those are the full-time guys. And for the taxi squad guys, I've got Trey Harris and Grayson Genista as far as hitters. And Brandon White and Dezebel Hernandez-Garab, I can hear you laughing already, uh, for being the taxi squad guys there. I would love to see Kurt Hoekstra, who is like my favorite minor league story, uh, go out there, a converted second baseman who is now a pitcher and like a really, really throwing ninety six by the way, yeah, and like striking out everybody. You know, he was one of those like um, mercy additions. You know, uh, you know, we're down by twelve. We're... Let's bring in Hoekstra to pitch, and uh, and then he wound up striking out a bunch. And they're like, well, you're not really hitting, so we're going to convert you to pitcher full time. And, and <laughs> he got a start in Gwinnett like five weeks ago. Or something. So it's been great, great story. Love to see him out there get some some continued reps on that. But but yeah, that that's kind of my prediction right there. I mean, it's it's a mixed bag. It's the 2017 Braves AFL contingent was like Acuna, Riley, Alex Jackson, front of the program Jared James, uh, Max Fried, Tuki Toussaint, Josh Graham, Corbin Klaus. I mean, it was like it was unbelievable the amount of talent that they sent out there. And last year, Pache and Muller. We're out there, and uh, Jeremy Walker was out there, but 
you know, it's it's not so much about just like having your your farm system on complete display. There is actually a purpose to it. But the good news is, it starts earlier this year. It starts September eighteenth. So the announcement should be coming pretty soon. Uh, you can go to mybookie.ag and put your uh, put some money on whether or not um, um, how many of those names I'm going to get right. And thank you also to Boggy for uh, calling and leaving us the. Uh, Leaving us the voicemail. If you want to uh, leave us a message, uh, you can call the TPS hotline at 678-208-7982. We would love to hear from you. We absolutely would. Remember that name, Daisbel Hernandez. I'm very, very excited about that young man. I hope he goes to the AFL. Doc, I'm also very, very excited anytime I get to talk to you, sir. Thank you for coming on and being my partner. Hey, buddy, this is uh, it's always a pleasure, and I wouldn't trade it for anything, and I can't believe that we have done 75 episodes. Or you've done 75. I know. I've done 74. 75 episodes. We are we are three quarters of the way to 100. we got to figure out what we're going to do for our 100th episode. We should have some big blowout. Maybe we'll even do like a live game cast or something. I don't know. We'll figure it out. We have to map out when it's going to be, obviously. But we'll, we'll figure something out. It'll be a lot of fun. For all of you guys who made it to the end of this episode, thank you guys so much. Hope you guys enjoyed it. You can find us pretty much wherever. You can find us on Stitcher, TuneIn, Apple, uh, iHeartRadio, Blueberry, pretty much wherever. You can find the Platinum Sombrero invading everything you know. Uh, Drop us a line. Drop us a follow, subscription, whatever. Just let us know how you feel about the show. We love you guys so much. Thank you, guys. We will be back next week here on the Platinum Sombrero. Thanks, bye.